G'day and welcome to the Mind Your Body Show, episode number 56. Today, I am talking to Ben Angel. So if you'd like to know more about biohacking to become unstoppable, stay tuned. Hi, I'm Jacob Andre, and for over a decade, I've trained everyone from children to elite athletes to move better, feel better, and perform better. While a thorough understanding of fitness and nutrition is vital, underpinning that is mindset. And I've come to discover just how important it is. I've worked with literally thousands of people, and more often than not, it's the ones who win the mind game who succeed in the big game. So, how do they do it? This is the Mind Your Body Podcast. Are you an athlete who wants to maximize your performance and succeed at the top level? Stop wasting time on generic programs. Get started with a two-week intro package today. Head to jacobandre.com. That's J-A-C-O-B-A-N-D-R-E-A-E.com. Or we'll link it up in the show notes below. You can click that link there. Okay, so this week's testimony of the week comes from Ryan Nyhouse, former AFL player who played with the Fremantle Dockers. He's back playing in Darwin for Nycliffe Tigers. He's been the captain this last season. And in the season before, I was working with him. And he says, as a result of training with Jacob over the last six months, my strength and flexibility in particular has really improved. I've been able to compete and have an injury-free season in the NTFL and have a really influential season for my team. And in actual fact, in the most recent season, he won Best and Ferris for his club. So well done, Ryan. And thank you very much for the very nice words, that testimonial. Okay, this week's comment of the week, if you'd like me to read out your comment of the week, make a really cool comment on Instagram, on my account at Jacob underscore Andre. And the best one, whether it's the funniest or the nicest, whatever it might be, not going to be emojis, but something that you write is going could be read out on a future episode. This one here actually comes from a previous guest. This is Adam Martin at Balanced by Adam on Instagram. And it was one of the little mini clips from his episode um, talking about finding balance in your life where he says, loved our chat, mate. And I thank you for allowing me the time to come onto the podcast. He was actually my first ever repeat episode my second episode so i've done one on him with him on fasting and now we did another one on finding balance in your life so thank you adam for the for that comment and if you as i said if you would like the opportunity to have your comment read out head to jacob underscore andre on instagram and leave a really cool comment okay so moving on to this week's episode with Ben Angel. Ben is someone that I have looked at and admired for a very long time. I've been watching his stuff on Instagram. And actual fact, I'll tell you a funny story about how we connected. That's what I like about these preludes. I get to just talk and tell background stories. So I actually had someone, and I've never done this before, and I've had it a couple of times, but I had someone impersonating Ben on Instagram who had created a fake account and started following me. And I think they might've even sent me a message and I've had that before. I actually had it with Alex Hormozzi. Um, and so he's got like 800,000 followers or something on Instagram. He's a business guy. And he had an account that was obviously a fake account that had about 20,000 followers um, that started following me. And I thought, oh, cool, this is cool. But obviously it wasn't him. And I knew that very quickly with the fact that it was only 20,000 when someone like Alex has got, you know, nearly a million followers. But with Ben, this person had sent me a message. And so I just screenshot it, sent it to Ben and just said, Let, letting you know, uh, do you want me to report it? And so I did. And he was so kind that he then actually did follow me uh, back in real life. And then we started chatting and I was like, this guy is actually a top bloke. Um, he's an Australian. He lives in Florida. He is a business person, but he's gotten into biohacking and he's 
right into that stuff. He's written a couple of books and his most recent book is sitting on right here, Unstoppable. Actually, we'll pull it out. So as you'll see, if you are watching this on YouTube, I have started to create my little library of books for those who I've interviewed on the podcast. We're at 50, episode 56 now, who are um, who have written books. This book here, Unstoppable by Ben Angel, is phenomenal. When I went down to Brisbane to drop my son off at boarding school uh, down there earlier in the year, 2022, I actually um, could not stop reading that book for the entire flight, and I just didn't want the flight to end. Um, but as you'll see there, there's a couple of other books there. There's Isabel Cornish's The Why and Nathan Parnham's The Sporting Parent, um, hoping that I can fill that and make more books on that little bookshelf so I have to move my, uh, my set here. So Ben, I just want to talk about how much of a top bloke Ben is. After we finished recording, our episode went for an hour and I don't pay any of my guests. It's completely their time that they're giving me um, and what I'm giving them back in return is trying to promote them and help you know in my small little kind of way and so after our one hour episode ben then sat on the call with me after we finished recording for another hour and talked about my personal health issues and now there's nothing too drastic but i haven't consumed gluten since 2014 and i was getting these stomach pains and i was going i ended up going to an um a gastroenterologist and he wanted me to have an endoscopy um, which is where they put a camera down to check that I had an ulcer and there's all these different things that um, that I was going through and ultimately a lot of it was related to stress but Ben took the time out of his day to and I think it was actually Friday night over there in the US to actually like listen to my story hear it and give advice and I just cannot thank Ben enough and I can't encourage you enough to go and get a copy of this book, Unstoppable. It is such an interesting read. Um, I'm not just saying it because I'm trying to promote him because he is such a nice, giving and caring guy, um, which that is the, the I'm trying to promote it for that. But I honestly loved reading this book. And so I would highly encourage you to go and get a copy of it. Uh, in this episode, we talked about so many different things. Ben uh, as I said, is a, is a business person. He has written for Entrepreneurial Magazine, which I think is amazing. Um, we talked about writing a book, which I'm fascinated about with all the people who do write books and how they do it. Um, he talks about limits. He talked about coffee. We talked about caffeine sensitivities and caffeine allergies. And that was one of the things that we spoke about with my own health and possibly reducing my caffeine intake, which I did down to uh, less one coffee a day. And every now and then I might have a second, but most days, at least five days out of the week, I'll only have one coffee a day. I was getting up to two to three. And I think that had a profound impact. I actually started in putting gluten back into my diet um, and eating full wheat, which I hadn't done previously, like lots of bread and pasta, slowly um, put it back into my diet and just felt like didn't, didn't just feel normal and i actually feel amazing um like I, I can't ex, i can't even explain it it's it's crazy uh we talked about the microbiome which is you know the the floor of the gut uh we talked about nutritional psychology and how that's going to be something really big into the future it's already something that's quite big and then we talked about future research and keeping up this episode has so many gold nuggets in it that going back through this and trying to find little clips to post on Instagram is probably is going to be crazy for me, but 
sit down, get a notepad and pen. I highly recommend grab yourself a glass of water and really dive in deep. You might have to listen to this episode a couple of times or pause it and rewind. There's so much information in here. You're going to love it. So without any further ado, let's get into it. Hi, Ben. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to speak to a fellow Aussie, probably the first time in several months even. Really? Why yeah. is that? Just, I think, living an American. I'm around a lot of Americans right now, and you may even hear a bit of an American tinge come out in my accent, which I'm trying to stop, but I, I sometimes can't help it. <laughs> That's cool. Um, do you mind me asking whereabouts in the US you are? Yeah, so currently I'm living in Tampa, Florida which is right near St. Petersburg, but we've kind of lived, we've lived in New York, we've lived just outside of Miami, but we like this little area. It's got a nice little vibe to it. That's awesome. And like I've already prepped you with some stuff, but I already want to go off on little tangents because um, I've got the book here, Unstoppable. It was really, really interesting to read. I haven't got all the way through it, but I was reading it on the plane recently to Brisbane and back um, home to my hometown in Darwin. And you talked about wanting, at the beginning of the book, moving to New York. So you finally yeah. did it. You got there. Yes, I got there just before I finished writing the first edition of the book. So the, the last part of Unstoppable, I actually got to write in the New York Public Library, which I don't know if you've ever been. It's, it's uh, Bryant Park. It's just one of the most majestic buildings that you walk walk into. You're surrounded by old books, old history. You walk into a room that's deathly silent. So you're there to just work and focus and kind of take in the culture. So it was, it was amazing to kind of finish the book in that library, which is one of my favorite places in the world. Yeah, that's awesome. I've always wanted to go to Newark. I've never made it that far. I've been to the US four times, usually to the Western side. The most eastern yeah. I've made it was Chicago, which I absolutely loved. Have you ever been there? Yeah, so Chicago is interesting because after Chicago burned down and they were rebuilding, they actually took inspiration from Melbourne, Australia. Really? When I was there the first time, I said to a friend, I'm like, this feels like home, it feels like Melbourne. And then we did one of the architectural river tours and they were telling, talking about the history of it. So that's why, probably why you love the city. It's just kind of, it just has that feeling of Melbourne to it. Yeah, and one of my favourite movies is Office Christmas Party. I don't know if you've seen that, but in I, that movie, you see a lot of Chicago. I actually watched it a couple of weeks ago. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good movie. Um, yeah. And the other thing I learned about Chicago is, one, it's pronounced Chicago, I'm pretty sure, uh, which is a Native American um, way of saying it. And the yeah. other thing is it was like all the Native Americans didn't want to, um, the first people of, of that area didn't want to live there. They didn't like it. It was stinky because it had onions growing on the sides of the rivers and it was all swampy marshland. Yeah, we have a lot of friends who are from Chicago and I think it was for one of their birthdays last year, I decided I'd surprise her and make Chicago hot dogs which are different. There's no, I was going to say ketchup, tomato sauce. <laughs> There's no tomato sauce. It's just a bun, poppy seeds, boiled hot dog, some relish, and I think, yeah, you sprinkle celery on it, and it's the most amazing hot dog. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought it in the world, but it was just the most amazing hot dog. 
okay, I'm going to come, I'm going to dig into that little point just there for a second, because in your book, we talk about gluten and wheat, and I personally don't eat yes. any uh, gluten. So did you no. eat the hot dog? Yes, of course I did. <laughs> so when, I, when it comes to my diet, I always think, okay, what's my tolerance level for certain foods? When I'm working on a new book, I try to avoid anything and everything possible, which is pretty strict to be. But when you're working on a 70,000 word book, you have to be, especially when you need to meet a deadline by a publisher and they can't push that deadline back. But I think I've become more flexible in my diet since writing Unstoppable because the other thing that we're starting to see is that a lot of the studies that we learned previously don't necessarily stand up to criticism now. Um, so what I tend to do and encourage people in the book is biohacking is about what works for you personally. For years, I was completely gluten-free. I thought that was the cause of my issue and my fatigue. Turned out it was more gut health issues as well, not necessarily caused by gluten, but gut health issues caused by having a course of antibiotics. On top of caffeine, caffeine doesn't agree with me, over 150 milligrams. So I try and work, of, work within my window of tolerance. I live, you know, next to St. Petersburg, which has amazing food choices. I still want to be able to live life, enjoy it, but I don't want the negative effects. So I know what my cutoff point is for certain foods, if that makes sense. Interesting you say that because I'm, and I'm really sorry that we haven't gone down the, the line that I was telling you we would go down, but I just want to keep going yeah. down this path for now. I'll come back to it. Um, so I'm exactly the same. So I can have certain amount of, and I don't even actually know if it is gluten or wheat, um, yeah. But I get heart palpitations and when I have too much. So I could probably have one slice of bread and it might sort of trigger my digestive system. And it's almost like a vibration um, that I feel. Yeah. But if I have two slices of bread, I start to get heart palpitations and they'll usually kick in somewhere between six and 24 hours later. So yeah. it, it's so common that I, like I haven't actually had a test for it, but it's so common and I'm, I believe I'm so good at listening to my body that I know that that's what it's from. So I can have gluten-free stuff, but even then sometimes gluten-free products still give me a funny feeling, even if it's just bloatedness. Well, and part of a lot of gluten-free products also have alcohol sugars in them, which do not agree with me whatsoever. So I think it's understanding that at different times in our lives and our bodies change and we adapt, our microbial diversity also changes. So at a particular stage in your life, you might have been eating a large variety of different foods and that was supporting the microbiome, which meant you could process glutens more effectively than now. So I'm in the mindset of making sure that when I'm eating, I'm trying to cram in as many different fruits or veggies or spices as possible to encourage that diversity. And since doing that, I've noticed my tolerance for certain foods has increased. Like I said, I was probably strictly gluten-free for five or six years. But since working on that aspect, I've been able to reintroduce foods that they're not an everyday food. They're, you know, once every couple of weeks or every now and then. But it's also understanding that food is a cultural aspect to it. So if you're going to consume a food, and you've already planted the seed that you're going to have a reaction to that food. 
then you will have a reaction to that food. I think the last few years I've really untrained myself to think, okay, the world's not going to end if I have a, you know, a piece of pizza or even a piece of Chicago pizza, which I had for the first time a couple of months back, which is amazing, but it's basically lasagna and just too much dairy for me. But I think, yeah, that's the whole point of the book to understand what's right for you. What is your body saying to you? And to also look at, are you actually having enough diversity in your diet? Because we see so much fear-mongering around certain foods right now. And I think when we increase food anxiety, then that's when we start to see gastrointestinal problems occur as well, which is the last thing that we want. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear you say about creating it yourself and the mindset behind it. So to quickly go back into my journey in 2014, I broke down very similar story to you. And I really want to get into that and hear your story. Sounds like yours was probably a, a much worse. Um, but I remember doing, I was doing too much. I was really, really busy with my life. Uh, and so in by the mid mid 2014, I just broke down. I went to a, I remember I was doing a hill session with a group of football Aussie rules umpires. And on the third one, I couldn't physically get up. I was down on my haunches. I could not stand up. I had no energy. Really quickly, I drove home later that day, like an hour or two later. I shouldn't have driven. Um, yeah. And then it was really difficult, just the energy to drive home. I got home. I laid on the lounge room floor. I couldn't get up. Eventually, after a few hours, I got myself to the shower, had a shower, sat in the shower for about an hour, just with the water running over me, went to bed, woke up thinking I'll be fine. I just needed to sleep. And the next day, I was just exhausted. It was almost like I was having this out-of-body experience. I remember thinking that I could see my body from above and then called in sick um, to work. I was teaching um, psychology, actually, at a high school. And then I thought I just need a day off. I laid on the floor um, again at the laundry floor all day that day. Took the next day and I was worse. So I went to the doctor. The doctor said, first doctor said, you got depression. Here's these tablets for depression. And I knew enough about myself that I didn't feel like I had depression. So a week, I took the week off. A week later, I went to another doctor. She said, you've got adrenal fatigue and you just need to take a break. I can't give you the four weeks remaining in the semester off, but I can give you 10 days at a time. Come back in and check with me. So in that time, I went to a naturopath. The naturopath said, yep, um, that's right. You're just fatigued. You need to take a break. And by the way, why don't you try giving up gluten and see what happens? And at that point in time, in 2014, in my journey, I didn't even know what gluten was. So I went home, Googled it, and realized it was in everything I ate, the toast that I had for breakfast, the salad rolls for lunch, and the um, pasta for dinner. And so it was an 18-month journey to get rid of it. But then I think I might have made myself gluten intolerant. So I yeah. wondered if maybe it's possible to go back to it. Well, that's that was my concern as well. And, you know, your stories, thank you for sharing it with everyone because I think more men need to share their stories like yours. But like you say, I think we can make ourselves intolerant to these foods by completely kicking them out of our diets. And I remember when I first chose to go gluten and like you looking at the research, it's like, motherfucker it's in every single thing that i eat like how am i meant to enjoy life or go out to a simple dinner and not be that annoying person at the table saying is there a gluten-free option like it's 
you know, it's quite jarring. I'm sure you went through that phase as well. Yeah, especially <laughs> it was only just shifting at that point in time, uh, you know, the gluten stuff. And so there was gluten-free stuff yeah. out there, thank goodness. But, I mean, I didn't want to, I didn't want to just take uh, gluten products like food with bread with gluten in it and then just have gluten-free bread or pasta. I was just fully out. I did a week yeah. of only meat and vegetables. Actually, it was the best I ever felt. Yeah. Well, the, the interesting thing with the building up an intolerance to gluten is that because you remove that food from your diet, your gut doesn't need to produce those specific bacteria to process it. So you kind of, you end up, it's a double-edged sword to a degree. But obviously we have, you know, celiac disease, which is extreme. So in that case, it's completely different. You have to avoid it altogether. But I think with gluten intolerance, for me, I just gradually started to introduce it back in. It wasn't all in one big hit. It was just every now and then to see if I could rebuild a tolerance to it. And I know with dairy, I'm generally dairy free. I can have a little bit, but I know my limits. So I make sure I just cut it off of that limit. But coming back to your story, I mean, our stories are very similar in that going to the doctor they told me I was depressed and I think it was I got to a point where I realized I wasn't tired because I was depressed I was depressed because I was tired mm. and working backwards and looking at going okay what are these underlying causes of my fatigue and it's in those initial stages that you do really tend to drive yourself crazy because you may see a TikTok video, a YouTube video, read an article, and all of a sudden you've got like 30 different issues and you need to throw out all of the food in your fridge. Like the abundance of information now, while I believe it's helpful, I do also think that it will just keep increasing food anxiety, which is, I think, something that we need to seriously consider as talking about these topics to be very specific in that you know you need to pinpoint what it is for you for example for whatever reason and i haven't really dived into the research and maybe a listener can even tell me chocolate makes me angry really <laughs> like quite <laughs> literally and it's the weirdest thing in the world if i go above a certain limit i will be angry i will be moody i will be short the next day none of those things are typically in my personality. Even my partner knows like to tell me you've had enough. So I think it's, it's that personalization and considering bio-individuality, like chocolate to most people, it's, I mean, it's enjoyable. I love eating it. There's no question about that, but I'm also aware of the consequences of eating it and what will effectively take me a couple of days or even a full week to recover from mentally in terms of mental fatigue and brain fog. Yeah. So I think with going to any expert, whether it's a nutritionist or a psychiatrist, a doctor, one thing that was really came across to me strong in researching the book is it doesn't matter which expert you go, they all tend to operate in individual silos. So if you go to this expert, they're going to tell you that you have this problem. You go to this one, they're going to tell you it's a different problem. 
But I think in part of Unstoppable, it's trying to combine the modalities and get it to connect to go, okay, this aspect affects this, this, and this. So your diet affects your, your gut microbiome diversity, which then affects your mood and how you behave and depression and even social anxiety. And I think it's about connecting everything and giving people a framework to be able to pinpoint what's working, what's not working for them. So with the chocolate, have you noticed, is it different with different types of chocolate? Like if it's over 70% or if it's under, if it's more milk chocolate? To be honest with you, generally, if it's in the house, I haven't brought it in the house and it's in my mouth without ever thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. I think we all, we all have our vices and I know I should have probably researched it more by this point, but I think... I mean, I've written over 300,000 words in the last three years. <laughs> so that's one thing that I want to uncover, but I think it's a, you know, a good story to share with people that it could be something as benign as chocolate or caffeine that is your trigger that has a cascade effect. Well, the reason why I ask is because, again, I'm similar. For me, it's the brand Cadbury. It, it okay. upsets my gut something chronic i don't know what it is so typically i can have more darker chocolate and i don't feel an effect although some brands i do even at 70 to 90 percent but cadbury brand milk chocolate it just i can't sleep that night it feels like my whole body's buzzing yeah yeah and i mean it's definitely brand dependent as well different types of coffee where they're from how it's actually produced like foods affect us differently. And I think one of the biggest issues, especially in the US, is with the health food movement, we, we see a lot of introduction of artificial sweeteners, which some people respond fine, doesn't upset them at all. Um, but the alcohol sugars can, in a lot of people, cause severe bloating and gas pain. So we need to consider what, how is the food industry changing? And there was another point I was going to get to, but it's escaped my mind. Well, it might be, so I'll, I'll let you, it might pop up in that subconscious it'll, it'll, in the moment. It'll appear. I'll, because you touched on caffeine as well, and I want to talk about caffeine because I absolutely love a long black or a short black. And I'm, one of what I've noticed over the last couple of months in myself is I've been getting this like pressure in my gut. So I might have been to a doctor, he sent me to a gastroenterologist and I'm supposed to go and have an, an endoscopy um, where they put the camera down. And in Australia, you have to be put to sleep, which I'm really yeah. nervous about. But after reading the book, you talked about caffeine and I've thought this for years that I was sensitive to caffeine and I was yeah. like, I couldn't find anything online to support these thoughts that I had. By reading the book, I thought you, you mentioned about caffeine um, sensitivity and I think maybe even allergy. I'm just quickly trying to find it. Uh, yes, but the caffeine allergy is an interesting one. I, when I was researching it, I came across the story of Ruth Wallen. So she was diagnosed with multiple, multiple personality disorders, schizophrenia, chronic fatigue, headaches, and she was actually admitted to a psychiatric ward. And it wasn't until one doctor actually came along and diagnosed her with caffeine allergy, which is different to a sensitivity. A sensitivity, you might have a mild reaction that 
kind of appears within a 72-hour window. But with an allergy, like a peanut allergy, it's almost instant inflammatory response. Now, if we consider if someone is allergic or even sensitive to it, there is going to be an inflammatory response in the body. But my particular concern with caffeine is that response occurring in the brain. Mm. So if we think when neuroinflammation occurs, if a food has triggered it, it effectively slows down all of the connections and pathways in the brain, which makes it harder to think, harder to process information, harder to memorize things. But also coming back to the gut, if what I've found with caffeine, just like gluten, after I increased my microbial diversity, my response to caffeine was much better because I had the diversity to process it more effectively. In your case, if your gut instinct, quite literally in this case, is telling you that that's it, then I recommend to a lot of people that if they think caffeine is an issue, to gradually wean it off, wean it off over a 30-day period, not do it dramatically to the point that you get withdrawals and sweats and anxiety about not having it. But... I mean, I have another friend who just had the, and I can't say it either, the endoscopy. Yeah. <laughs> and caffeine was also one of her triggers. Thankfully, the other issue was also stress. So I think when we combine stress, which dumps adrenaline into the stomach and effectively stops everything from being processed, it shuts down your digestive system and then you add caffeine to the fire you really do have a double whammy that you have to tackle from both sides. In her case, she's a respiratory nurse who, unfortunately, some nights she was having two or three patients die on her during the pandemic. Like here in Florida, we were particularly hard, but the frontline workers hearing their own stories, her gut health issues just escalated and escalated until more severe steps might have to have been taken. Thankfully, she's changed careers and her gut is coming back to full health, which is the best case scenario. But that's not always the best case scenario for everyone if they're not aware of what's going on. Yeah, well, so I think mine was definitely also definitely included stress and I was able to change some stuff in my life middle of last year, 2022, which improved so many things. Like I was getting triggers from all like spices and like the little, I was thinking there's going to be nothing that I can eat. And it was obviously underpinned by stress. Um, the bloating in the last few months after reading the book, literally in the last few days, I have gone back to only one coffee a day. I was having two to three, okay. no problem. The pain in my gut has gone in the last couple of days. So yeah. the last, I hope it stays like that. But on, yeah. if this book, has done that for me to get rid of that pain and pressure, which was impacting my life. My goodness, this is, you know, the, the best money you can spend. Thank you. We've, it's been interesting. Like I'm, I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a doctor. I make that clearer in the book. It was me going out on a personal journey to interview neuroscientists, doctors, gut health experts to kind of look at these different silos of information, but look at how they all cross over. And we have, there was one story that kind of hit in the right way. This guy, I believe he was from Australia, had spent over $20,000 
trying to work out what were the root causes of his depression as well as physical health issues. And he said within, I think, four weeks of reading the book, he was able to pinpoint it and go get further clarity from other experts in the field. And he said, I can't believe I spent $20,000 and your book just cost like 25 bucks. <laughs> I, that, that's why it's, you know, we've had thousands of those stories and it's, it's also very humbling to have psychiatrists and doctors actually reach out to us and say, we're actually implementing what's in the book in our practice, which, you know, someone not coming from that field of expertise, that is very humbling. Yeah, that's great. So let's go down that line then. So what led to writing the book? So this is where I want to just hear the, the Ben Angel story of where did it all begin? How did you end up where you are now? And how did you end up writing that book? So it was back in, I believe, 20, 2017, 2018. I'd just come back to Australia after a three-month trip around the US. And when I landed in Australia, yes, I was suffering from jet lag, which I'd never experienced jet lag to that degree, especially being over here for three months and traveling across multiple time zones as well as going to Canada. And when I got back to Australia, I started drinking a lot of coffee, which I never typically did. I've never really been a coffee drinker. I've been more of a tea drinker. And I noticed that my temper was short. I was withdrawing from social circumstances. At the time, we had a big group of 20 mates that we would always catch up with. It got to the point where light and sound became really sensitive to my brain. It's like, I don't know if you're one of these people, I know I am. If someone is eating really loudly, <laughs> I have that trigger that just, <laughs> it just irks me. And I, I normally have music playing whenever I'm in an eating scenario. <laughs> I'm gonna sound like a really weirdo, big weirdo at the end of this interview. But what I found is that just kept on escalating and escalating. I noticed that colours and just visually colours felt dull. And I was doing everything that we've been told to do. I was eating a diet plan from a nutritionist. I was doing CrossFit at the time, working out five to six days a week, and I had a trainer for that. I was meditating daily. I was, you know, doing practicing what I preach at the time. But I did have what was a nose infection at one point, and I ended up on a strong course of antibiotics, I think, for a couple of weeks to actually get rid of it. And whatever was happening before that, that just escalated everything. Because when you look at antibiotics, it completely wipes out the good and bad bacteria in your gut. So unless you're told by the doctor that you need to take a probiotic, you need to work on your microbial diversity again and build it back from scratch effectively, unless you're told that, you don't really know what to do. So even though I was eating incredibly well, I didn't necessarily have the diversity in the diet to support the antibiotic that I'd just taken. And from there, it just continued to escalate to the point that writing a simple email reply might take me 30 plus minutes because I would have to 
start it and then reread it and then I would overthink it. But I was taking two to three naps a day and effectively probably only working a couple of hours a day. But I think at that point in time, if you're your own business owner, you have to work. It doesn't matter how tired you are. You have to still pay the bills. Here in America has been a real eye-opener for me, meeting different people that have three or four jobs just to make ends meet. And so getting through to the end of the day, for them it's real just survival. So through that process, I kind of really got to a point after visiting, I think, five-plus doctors, and it was the last doctor that I was in tears after I left the office because they effectively said that, hey, it looks like you have chronic fatigue and depression. Most people never get over fatigue. Just learn to live with that. It was that point that I got angry (laughs) (laughs) and just decided, no, screw this. There's got to be a way. And that's when I had already been working with Entrepreneur Magazine, producing videos on digital marketing. And just one day in a really fatigued state, I think I I started a book proposal that was to go on this 90-day mission. The original title was going to be called The Identity Gap, which I'm glad we never went with, (laughs) although it is a topic in the book. I sent it to them, then moved to the States, and then eight months later, I was still struggling. I got a random phone call out of the blue saying, we want to talk to you about this book. And we had to have very transparent conversations. And I said to them that, you know, the mission of this is to find answers. What if I don't find answers? Yeah. Like I'm about to sign a book contract and get a book advance. Am I going to have to give that back? And then am I going to be in a worse position than what I was already in? So that's what really led to this book and so grateful to the team at Entrepreneur who supported me, encouraged me and were willing to go on that journey with them. And, you know, I've been very lucky in the success of how the book has done. Yeah. So tell me more, like, I know you already said you were a bit nervous. Like to me, as I was reading it, I was actually really legitimately concerned for your health when you were in the state where you're on the stage and you were just exhausted at the end of it. And then you then go and say, Hey, let's let's do research in 90 days. That's not a long time and try and fix this and write a book. I was like, Oh no, this guy's going to hurt himself. Yeah. (laughs) The first month. And I have a lot of people saying, Hey, you weren't depressed. You wrote this book. Like I get a lot of that criticism every now and then. But the first month, to be fully transparent, I became suicidal again. I became so burnt out and I was really questioning, could I finish this? And that's probably something I regret with the book in not sharing that piece of the puzzle in writing the book, that it escalated before it started to get better. Because doing all of that research... I was lucky that through the name of Entrepreneur Magazine, which they have 20 million monthly website visitors here, 
I was lucky that I was able to leverage that to get interviews with, you know, even neuroscientists to ask them the questions that I couldn't find online and your typical GP just simply couldn't answer because they had a lot of theories about what the issues could be. And when I interviewed each one, I felt like another piece of the puzzle got filled in. But specifically, it was an interview and it was a checkup with a nutritional doctor here in Florida. When I was asking him about my blood test results, I was saying, you know, they'd always come back normal, they seem to be fine. And he asked me, and it was brought up in another interview with another doctor that I came across a couple of months later, but he asked me, did they tell you if you were the top end or the low end of the normal range? So take a vitamin D, take vitamin D. My results showed that I was in the normal range, but in getting clarity on this specific topic, you could be at the bottom end of the normal range, but still be exhibiting signs of deficiency. And one of the reasons for that is these normal ranges are set on specific sets of data that people have been studied on. One doctor shared with me that typically it's a white, uh, I believe 30 year old male, 75 kilograms that a lot of these studies are done on. Now, if you look at the general population, someone who's overweight, underweight, female, that doesn't even include female, of a different ethnicity as well, then those normal ranges don't necessarily correspond to the entirety of the population. And so he was doing my blood test work and he found I was very, very low on the average range for that, as well as a few other key areas. Now that kind of surprised me because I was living in Florida at the time, getting plenty of sunlight, eating a healthy diet. But one of the aspects was that once again, at that point, I hadn't learned about the effects of antibiotics on my gut health. Because if we take, for example, if you think about nutrients and absor absorption, like the customs terminal at an airport. You know, people with visas pass through normally and it speeds up, but if there's a backlog, the workers get overwhelmed, which means the nutrients don't necessarily pass through to where they need to go. And I think if you think of that analogy as the nutrients that we're consuming, and if there is a lack of microbial diversity, then those nutrients just aren't getting through, which affects everything, especially vitamin D with brain health. Sorry, that's my dog wanting to be picked up. Mitch, come here. <laughs> what's, your, what's your dog's name? Mitch. Yeah, he's actually mentioned in the book. Oh, yes, I, I see I you. <laughs> I can pick him up. I'll show you he's being stubborn right now. <laughs> but if you think a large, you know, I would say that a large part of the population is suffering from malabsorption, even though they might be eating a strictly healthy diet. Yeah, so that's... I think that's really key to understand, and I, I don't want people to get overwhelmed to think that they have 30 different issues. It could just be one that causes all of the other issues to arise. And in the book, I was interviewing a good friend of mine, Trish, who is a clinical counsellor, 
sorry, clinical social worker. And as I was writing the book, she shared a story with me of one of her clients that she'd treated for years around suicidal ideation. And one day that client happened to just randomly take a vitamin D test, found out that was severely deficient, started taking a high dose, more than what was typically recommended. So I recommend people speak to their doctor and nutritionist about this, what's right for them. But within a matter of weeks, the suicidal ideation disappeared. Depression went away. The social anxiety went away. She reconnected with family members and she effectively got her life back. So in that particular case, Trish was working on the psychological aspect without knowing that there was this cause that was triggering or mimicking psychological disorders. And even another case, a lady from Australia I wrote about as well, she suspected that her breast implant was leaking. And at the time, her face had actually started drooping and she was having major neurological issues and the doctors didn't want to believe that it was a leaking breast implant. Chose to have them removed regardless. It was in fact leaking. So, Mm. you know, through these stories, it is about learning to trust your gut just because you get, hold on one sec. (laughs) Mitch. Oh, there he is. Sorry. That's a cute little dog. <laughs> he, he's stubborn <laughs> right now. He is the rescue dog that helped me through this whole process. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, then you won't know what we're talking about. You'll have to head to YouTube. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think it's it's if you go to an expert, understand that they – Working, they're working within their silo of expertise. But health, especially mental health, isn't limited to just psychology or biology. It's two sides of the same coin. You can't have one side without the other. Yeah. So in your journey, you were very lucky to meet with um, a lot of biohackers. And I'm really intrigued with biohackers as someone who's probably a little bit woo-woo myself, but also very like sciencey, and I love the idea of it. Namely, one of the names that really stood out to me, obviously, is Dave Asprey. What was it like? What what did you what was it like meeting these biohackers and what did you take most from from meeting them? It's interesting because since I've done those interviews, a lot's changed in the last couple of years. <laughs> so Dave, incredible friendly guy, amazing. The interview was maybe about an hour and it took three months to get. And as a result, I got stranded in Canada (laughs) because of visa issues we weren't aware of. And we didn't know when we were able to come back to the US and would actually just adopted Mitch. (laughs) So he was back in Florida with friends and we were freaking out over there going, we've got to get back to our dog. We've had him for a month. (laughs) (laughs) So I think The biohacking space, one of my big concerns right now is that some of the information that is being shared can be torn apart quite easily. And I think someone who I more admire, I still have respect for Dave, but I more so admire is BioLane. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. No, I haven't. Is that a a 
Biolane is a business name or Instagram or? Um, I can't remember his real name, but Biolane, if you search it up on YouTube, he tends to dismantle a lot of the research that's been released. And the thing that I like about him is that if he cites a particular study and he's not interpreted it correctly, he will come back and apologize. Whereas right now in the biohacking space, I've tend to witness a lot of individuals hold on to information, take one key piece, but then more research has been, been released since then. But some of them have built their entire brand and reputation around a study that was done 20 years ago. But now we have this piece of information which completely dismantles that. So some are still holding on to what made them successful and some to their credit have come out and say I was wrong like here's the latest research so I think those that you want to follow are those that are willing to take the critique I mean there's no doubt there's probably some things in Unstoppable as if I was to revisit today I would want to correct and in fact I did correct some things in the second edition versus the first edition in particular food sensitivity tests. In doing more and more research on that, it's relatively been debunked. So I think you, we have to be careful about putting a stake in moving sands because due to technology and due to better research and methodologies, the research is coming at us fast and furious a lot of us are trying to keep up and that is one, going to be one of the greatest issues of the 21st century is keeping up with the massive knowledge we're now faced with. Mm. So in the book you talk about getting a test and you just touched on it then because uh, I wanted to ask about this because there was something I wanted to do, um, try and I can't remember the, the lab that you mentioned off the top of my head but get one of the tests and just send it away just to see what all my bloods were. So yeah. do you not recommend that now? Is that what you're saying? Or No, I think I do. I, I, I believe I updated it in the second edition of Unstoppable to say mm -hmm. I think I broke it down in terms of here's what you need to know right now based on the data that we know today. Yeah. So when it comes to food sensitivities in particular, what they tend to do is that they encourage you to eat a diverse range of foods before you actually get the test done. But what that does is depending on the test type, there are two different tests and the names of the individual tests escape me now. You may even have it in front of you right now. I know there's an IgE test and there's another one as well. Yeah. But when they encourage you to eat those types of foods, Generally, we have a mild type of inflammatory response to a lot of different foods. That doesn't mean that's an issue. So when you take the test done, it's really just telling you that you've just had the food. It's not necessarily telling you that you have a problem with the food. And the reason I wanted to update it in the book is after doing further research on it, I want to respect my readers and update what I wrote in Unstoppable. I'm like, here's where we stand right now. To say Italy well was the company. Yes, Sorry. that's right. That's right. And I did for for the record, I did 
emailed them multiple times asking these follow-up questions and I didn't get a response. That's not to say they didn't have an answer. If they had an answer, that would have been great. The communication before that was free-flowing and then it wasn't. So you can read into that whatever you want to read into it. <laughs> it could have been a time management issue on their end. That could have been it. But I think it's important that we're transparent with anyone we share any kind of health information in is that health information right now is in moving sands and it will keep moving. So we do have to be careful where we try and put a stake in the ground. And I think we have to be mad enough to acknowledge, hey, I wrote about this. Here's the latest research. I was wrong. The latest, that past study didn't stand up to criticism. And I was even clear on that when it comes to wearable devices and sleep trackers as well, especially. Yeah. So in the book, you talk about four different um, types. So the catalyst, the synergist, the, the fender was the last one. And the third one was the guardian. Got so the, <laughs> let me say it again. The catalyst, the synergist. So catalyst is the 75 to 100%. The synergist, 50 to 75 the Guardian 25 to 50 and the Defender from zero to 50. Can you please quickly nice. explain those? <laughs> I'm glad you said that because sometimes I get tongue-tied. Well, <laughs> so I realised that I'm the synergist. Um, I'm oh. far and away 90% the, the synergist, so the third one. Um, that's yeah. right, isn't it? The, the one that's yeah, the 50 to 75%. Third one. Um, yeah. However, with some of the gut problems that I've had, which I... I'm really seriously thinking is related to that caffeine insensitivity and maybe not being able to have more than one cup. Thank goodness I can have one cup because <laughs> yeah. I love it in the morning. But um, there was definitely some stuff there to do with the gut that pushed me back down into the defender. Yeah, and the easiest way to break down these different identity types, and this is the model that was originally what the book was going to be called <laughs> until we changed it to Unstoppable for the record. But... The way that I look at it is I think, take your average mobile phone. The second a mobile phone hits 5%, 10%, it's about to die, it turns on battery saving mode in which the background tasks start to turn off, might even go grayscale, you may not even be able to make a phone call, the internet's slow, everything about it slows down. Now, for us, for humans, we tend to treat our phones better than we treat ourselves. The second that phone starts to die, we've got a charger and we plug it in immediately. But the second we hit mental fatigue and our energy starts to run out, we just ignore it. And if you're like me, I grew, I grew up on a cattle farm, which is, as far as I'm concerned, the original hustle until you die culture. Like the hustle until you die culture in the tech world is different <laughs> to farming for sure. Um, but we grew up, you, you know, you just toughen up, you stick it out, and that's the message that a lot of men have heard. But when we look at how we combine biological and psychological symptoms, we actually have surveyed to date, I believe it's about 75,000 people through our online survey, and we asked them 30 very specific questions around gut health, motivation, caffeine intake, um, overwhelm if they'd had any medications or were they experiencing any suicidal thoughts. 
And we decided to break it down into four different groups as you define the defender, guardian, synergist, catalyst. The catalyst being the peak performer, the defender is the one that suffers the most. And that was the, I was in defender when I started this project. So if we take the battery analogy of a mobile phone and divide it into 50%, the bottom two, under 50% of the defender and guardian, above who are optimal and becoming more optimized, uh, 50 to 100%. But in the middle, when our energy levels start to drop like a phone battery does, instead of the battery saving mode come on, we have what I call self-preservation mode come on, which is essentially where your primal brain says, stop, I have to prioritize vital bodily functions over your goals, over your job, over your work. So I liken it, I liken it to coming up to a T-junction. You want to turn right because you're ambitious, you've got a goal, your soul's purpose, you want to turn right. But when self-preservation mode comes on, your brain is forcing you to turn left, which results in you procrastinating. So you're stuck in the middle with this tug of war, with this total disconnect between here's what I want, but this is what I'm doing. And a lot of people just say to themselves, I'm just being lazy. You're not being lazy. It's self-preservation mode that has come on because it's either diet, your environment, your job, all of these compounding factors have literally cost you your energy and you've not recharged yourself. So the second that you, you understand that when you get tired, and for me, I've found that especially useful over the last few years to recognize self-preservation mode has come on. I don't want to do anything. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Why is it come on? Oh, I wrote 10,000 words in the last week. I filmed five videos, edited three. But of course it came on. And then you start to work back from that. All right, well, what am I going to do differently next week to recover and then optimize? Yeah, that's great. And so what are you doing now? What, what's, what is your business work life all about right now? It's, I mean, it's still chaotic, but it's fun chaotic. So I think in terms of right now, I'm starting to research artificial intelligence, which in Unstoppable, I looked at different triggers such as guy health medications, caffeine, that affect our mental health. Now with the introduction of, I don't know if you've heard about chat GPT, yep. which for those that don't know is a language-based artificial intelligence that you can ask it anything. It can produce articles, video scripts, books, attorneys are even using it to write legal arguments. So the what I've been learning about that is this will be without a question the greatest change since the industrial revolution within the next few years. And even the CEO of ChatGPT has expressed concern that they have to be incredibly careful as to how they roll it out. So that right now over a million people are using it and are effectively training an AI program to do their job for them in the future. Yep. So we think about how the economy will change 
right now those with information experts companies if we think that there's now an ai that's democratized information suddenly jobs that we have now may not be there in four to five years so it's i'll be releasing a couple of videos over the next couple of weeks to look at what are the social implications of are you actually chatting chatting to that date through a dating platform or are you talking to ai like is this the ai version of catfishing oh my goodness i didn't even think of this this is crazy <laughs> it's it's scary and exciting at the same time like i love technology and you'll see that kind of theme through unstoppable so it's looking at okay this is the greatest opportunity and threat that we'll face in the 21st century. And there's an opportunity to use it for nefarious means such as political propaganda, even health propaganda, also other individuals using it to fake credentials, to pretend that they're an expert in a certain field because they've asked an AI to write it. And I know some people are kind of downplaying it right now, but the bottom line is there's over a million users in five days who are actively training it to do their job. I even saw a post by a social media manager today who said that she's had multiple clients ask, if you use ChatGPT in helping us, will you discount your rates? So... For those people that are sleeping on this right now, wake up. Things are about to change quickly. The CEO, Sam Feltman, has said publicly, and he's the one that I hope to get an interview with in the coming months. I'll be working my I was just about to say, please get an interview with this guy. <laughs> I, I suspect it's going to be hard getting an interview at this point <laughs> because this is blowing up as we speak. But he has been very clear that he's concerned about the economic impact of the software because it has the potential to upend complete industries. If everything was released right now, it would upend everything within a very short space of time. He is planning on putting you know, safety factors and guardrails in place as well as rolling it out like a iPhone update once a year to ensure that the economic impact, you know, it's a gradual process, not, holy crap, you're out of a job because this software that you've just been using, you just taught it how to do its job better than you can. It's smarter, faster, doesn't complain, doesn't take six days off, and you can ask it to pull data from documents in your business and you can ask it to rewrite it in different million ways and it will do it. So I'll, I've got an interesting video coming out next week and the following week looking at what are the implications. There's a lot of excitement around it. There was a university professor from, I think it's Wharton University here in the States. He actually tested chat GPT to see if it could pass an MBA. It passed the final exam of the MBA. Oh, right. Many people think right now the answers that it gives are basic. It's dependent on the question you ask. 
So you ask a basic question, you'll get a basic answer. If you don't know what to ask, it will be basic and won't give you much information. But the other issue that's faced with that is that it's not always accurate. So we could see an even further increase in misinformation in the coming years. And I think this is really going to shutter our reality to a large degree in terms of what was written by AI, what wasn't, are our social interactions real or are they fake? Is there AI talking to us? And so it's going to be, without a question, I think the greatest challenge of the 21st century. Wow. Uh, so you said that you're going to release this a video or a few very videos soon. Are they publicly available? Where can people yeah. find them if they are? So if they just search Ben Angel on YouTube, these will, first one should drop on Entrepreneur Magazine's website next Friday at 8 p.m. Um, I'm definitely setting my cut, my time up if I remind <laughs> for that. I, and it's coming at us hard and fast. Like we're already drinking information through a fire hose. And there was, there's one saying which is, if you give a monkey a typewriter and give them enough time, they'll create Shakespeare. Well, this software is giving everyone a typewriter with the knowledge and the intellect to pull from the internet to create art, tell stories, write movie scripts. So it's, we're going to be through, go through some very big cultural shifts. I mean, not just employment, but I think one of the biggest issues is fake credentials and just the proliferation of information online. We're going to have to become our own fact-checkers. And that is a scary thought when you consider majority of the population is an investigative reporter that will look at both sides of the equation run through multiple studies and send it off to their editor to double check it. Like it'll just be you. And I think, yeah, the world's about to change in a big way. And I don't mean to scare people, but it is scary. Like you said, I think it's both scary and exciting all at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Strap in is all I can <laughs> say. <laughs> so is there a new book coming out in the future on this stuff that you're researching? Maybe. <laughs> the, I can't tell you anything right now. Okay, or yeah, right. I'll, I'll let you know when, yeah. <laughs> well, this, oh my goodness, like I could talk to you for another three hours asking about this stuff, but I think that's probably oh. a good place to end it with that moving into the future um, because I also am conscious of your time. And hopefully i really hope fingers crossed that we can get you back on and talk in the future when you've done some more of this research into ai and if there is a book in the making when that comes out chat about it maybe i, I can't say anything just yet but <laughs> either way you're very, no, i would, I would love best to talk to i'd love to be back on absolutely yeah awesome um so when this is not ending just yet because we've got the 10 and 10 to come up, but I just want to take this moment to thank you for your time on the Mind Your Body Show and acknowledge you for all the work that you do from biohacking to business and everything in between. 
Um, it's been so amazing to chat to you um, and thank you for your time. How can people connect with you and find you? Yeah, so if they search Ben Angel Unstoppable, you'll find the book on Amazon. Um, the website is areyouunstoppable.com and there's the free quiz that I mentioned in the book that's still available for free online. So people can actually get a free report that will give them a solid indication of which identity type they are, what are their strengths and weaknesses, and where they need to really focus their efforts right now. This book is seriously amazing and stoppable by Ben Angel. You have to get yourself a copy. Like, I'm not just saying, I'm literally not saying that because you're on here. Like, this to me already, in the third or so that I've read, has been. I believe life-changing. It's up there with one of my favorite books, which is The Barefoot Investor Thank by you. Scott Pape <laughs> in a different field completely, but that was also life-changing for me. I, I appreciate it. I met him years ago briefly. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so what was that? How did you meet him? Um, I, was, I was speaking at one of the many events that I was speaking at in Melbourne years ago. I think it might have been a, was it a travel expo? I can't remember. This is a good cool. 10, or, 10 or 15 years ago now. <laughs> All right, so 10 and 10. So the way this works, I kind of like worded you up before we started recording. Um, it's 10 quick questions. The idea was that it was like all done in 10 seconds. So it was like bam, 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 first thing that comes to mind. However, we've kind of shifted from that. If you want to go off on a tangent, sometimes I might pick up and ask more questions. Um, I'll try to be mindful of your time though. But it's the first thing that comes to mind when I say the stuff that you've mentioned on the show so far. All good? Go. Cool. Sounds good. All right. Number one, living in the USA. Adventurous. <laughs> uh, wild, wild ride. Why is that? Uh, living in Florida, hurricanes. We evacuated last year. <laughs> last minute. <laughs> that was fun. Um, <laughs> politically, wild ride. Just the whole lot. It's, I love it. Bottom line, despite all of that, and the people that I've met are incredible. That's awesome. Number two, writing a book. Grueling, but rewarding. <laughs> Number three, biohacking. Uh, transformative. Number four, limits and knowing your limits. Essential. Number five, coffee. Uh, Double-edged sword. Number six, the microbiome. The key to our future. Number seven, entrepreneurial magazine. Credible opportunity. Number eight, nutritional psychology. Once again, the key to our future. Uh, number nine, future research and keeping up with that future research. Artificial intelligence and overwhelming before i get to number 10 because it's a generic question which i ask everybody and i'm really looking forward to asking you this one i had this one in there and so i had a little combination of like serious ones but with joking ones um so i'm going to throw this one as a bonus one before number 10 loud eating <laughs> i will stab you <laughs> <laughs> silently what i'm saying in my head <laughs> Never do it or say it, but that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> and number 10 is an insight into my brain and how it works. Um, I would absolutely love to time travel in my time. 
if you could go forward in time or back in time, which would you go to and why? Remembering this is time travel, so you can go back to now. Uh, that's a hard one because the future right now scares me. <laughs> I think I would probably go back maybe five years and if I could know what I know now, I think that would have served me better in terms of dealing with the mental health issues. Yeah. That's and awesome. That would essentially prepare me for the future. Great answer. I love it. Ben Angel, thank you so much oh. for your time on the Mind Your Body Show. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for joining us today on the Mind Your Body Show. If you would like to connect, please head on over to Instagram and follow us at Jacob underscore Andre. And you can get all of our show notes as well as all of our other episodes from the Mind Your Body Show over on my website at jacobandre.com as well as the blog articles, which I write on a regular basis, and a whole bunch of other really cool tips, tricks, and actionable strategies to help you maximize your performance so you can succeed at the top level. Thank you again, and I'll see you soon.